So this is Louis Allport for Forward View Foundation, and today I'm speaking with James Eaton. Hi James, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, my pleasure, Louis. And often these interviews are broken up into three parts, as in initially your story or your journey, and maybe focusing more on how you, your, well, how, what you communicate, how you communicate, and I guess that's related to your perspective or the perspective you choose to share and lastly any suggestions you may you may make for that may be beneficial for people for people's lives for their well-being and just before we started this interview you mentioned that really the those last two sections will blend together for you if that's correct yeah yeah that's right so so i guess initially it'd be We'll talk about uh, your personal story, and then it will lead to the to the next section, which will, which will be a mixture of, um, I guess, yeah, what you communicate, and and yeah, and suggestions. As you say, the two are very much related for you. I mean, it may maybe quite a big question to start with, but what initiated your your? Yeah, well, it is a big question. <laughs> And maybe this sort of gives a bit of light on what we were just saying about those last two sections kind of blending together. Because for me, uh, there was always this sense of something's missing. And, you know, the people I work with, this is a very common thing, very common theme, that something feels like it's like an unscratchable itch, right? So there's, there's always been a longing in me to express myself like fully and freely, authentically you know to to feel fully expressed and not kind of restricted and held back and suppressed um so on on the, the journey has really been to find that free expression and i kind of felt fell into sort of spirituality on the way to that actually interestingly i was never i've never been interested in you know, what people call liberation or enlightenment or awakening. It didn't, that was never really on my radar. I just, I just wanted to, to feel free of this kind of constriction that I experienced, like kind of this, this kind of inner tension that I felt kind of spiraling inside me. So, um, you know, when I think back, Louis, I can, you know, I can remember... <laughs> from as long as I can remember, like feeling uh, something's up, something's missed, something's up, right? And even as a kid, sort of uh, thinking, like looking at adults around me and feeling like everyone's kind of pretending, like why are you pretending? But then, of course, as I got older, I, I started pretending too. I got sucked into that way of operating. Um, you know, and I, I couldn't really have, I couldn't really have said it at the time, but when I kind of reverse engineer my life, I can see that I was really miserable. I was, you know, I felt deep down that I was inadequate, uh, unworthy, and kind of superimposed on top of that because I found out I was clever. You know, at school I found out I was good at academic things. So that became a kind of identity. And then I I loved music. I got into music and playing in bands. 
So, you know, I was up on stage in, in a really great band. <laughs> so that kind of added to this kind of cool, so clever, cool identity, which, which was, you know, I, I perfectly sculpted. <laughs> um, but beneath that exterior, I was just miserable. And so, you know, I, I, I did well at school and got, uh, got into a great university, got into Oxford University, studied maths. So, you know, on the, on the outside, it all seemed like I was being very successful. But really, you know, in truth, it didn't count for anything. So uh, when I left Oxford, I, I basically carried on with music. I, you know, lots of my friends were going into big jobs and money and all the rest of it. And, and I kind of, I went on the rock and roll, literally, right, on the, on the doll and on the rock and roll, like doing music and trying to, trying to follow that because that felt more real for me, sort of more true somehow. Um, so I did that for a, for a few years. I had a band and we, we had an agent and we were uh, touring and making, writing songs, you know, uh, which was great. But like everything, because it's not, it wasn't coming wholly from that place of authenticity, it started to fall apart. Um, and, you know, whatever the essence that I bring is, wasn't shining fully through that so that was you know that was a really difficult period um that falling apart and then um i then i yeah what happened then is i i got interested in acting and uh i went to drama school which was which was amazing it was beautiful that i got in into drama school not having any experience really in theatre or drama, um, I had a friend who sort of coached me a bit to do the auditions. But when I got there, it was kind of horrific because there are all these. I was sort of my mid twenties, and there are all these younger people that were just so open and free because they, I don't know, they just they didn't have the same restrictions in on their expression that I did. So it was a real challenge to kind of free myself up. Um, and get used to feeling that fear of being in front of people, you know, and exposed. I remember like things like improvisation, which is terrifying because, you know, you had nothing to hold on to. So looking back, I can see that this was the sort of beginning of my sort of finding seeking proper. Like I didn't really realize it, but I was starting that seeking process. Um, so yeah, it was actually after drama school I was doing a play uh, in one of the plays I was doing and he he used to sort of disappear after rehearsals every, I think it was Thursday evening or something. And he, he'd be very mysterious about it. So I, one day I followed him. <laughs> I was like a detective. I kind of followed him. Where's this guy going? <clears throat> and he was uh, he was going to this these meetings and they were... Um, it was some kind of Gnostic cult, it turned out to be. Uh, but I kind of made him come clean, and I joined him in that. So that was when I, I sort of first understood the, the idea of seeking as in terms of, like, spiritual seeking. 
And that, that was all about, you know, knowledge. So it was a Gnostic, so knowledge about chakras and self-observation and, you know, meditation techniques and all this kind of stuff. So that was great for a while, and I kind of got into that. Um, but again, it didn't really feel like enough. Um, and I, I always get a bit rebellious when I get into that place. And I start feeling like, oh, no, this, I start, I start asking awkward questions you know, and being a bit <clears throat> um, mischievous and cantankerous. Uh, so, you know, then I, I end up having to leave, really. Um, I also got involved. I had a girlfriend whose dad was part of the Gurdjieff Society. So um, I remember uh, chatting to him and he introduced me to some people and I joined a the group there. And that was great as well. I don't know if you know much about Gurdjieff work, but there was they do these movements which are really beautiful, very sophisticated movements where you've got your arms and the body's doing this and it's, it's kind of gets increasingly complex so that you can't really orchestrate it from your rational mind, right? And you have to kind of start to let go of trying to control it. And then suddenly you start to experience your body just doing this stuff. So that was really, again, another kind of hint, another... Um, another kind of glimpse at what it was that I was being drawn towards. Um, and I always had that strong sense of something other, you know, like it sounds a bit romantic, but, you know, you just, I always remember looking up at the sky, like at the stars or the cosmos or the, you know, in, into the, the sort of undulating waves of the sea or the, or the sort of dancing flames of a fire and just, just being kind of mesmerized by, by something greater that my immediate environment wasn't talking about. Nobody was telling me about this. So that was always my kind of strong pull. Uh, but again, you know, with the Gurdjieff Society, there was, it's too obscure. It should be more obvious somehow. I needed something more direct. Um, yeah, so then, like, after that, I kind of, it was a really difficult time, really, because, you know, I w I've never really bought the kind of mainstream lifestyle thing, right? I never got involved in building a career path or I just, it just felt instinctively, even though, I, you know, I had a lot of academic qualifications, it, it just never felt that it was for me. So I just remember as going through these this time and just seeing people I know hitting all the milestones, you know, of a successful life, like earning the money and then buying the flat or the car or, the, you know, I don't know, getting married and the, the family, the house, all these kind of milestones being hit. And I, I was kind of like seemingly going not very, not, nowhere, right? I was just, it was like very difficult to, to not, get drawn into just trying to do what everyone else is doing. And I say that, but it wasn't difficult, actually. It was the easiest thing of all. I just knew that wasn't for me. So I've always had this very strong pull to, to 
inquire and to explore what reality is. So, uh, actually, you know, I know I want to credit Gurdjieff because I remember I hadn't really read anything any books at all, and <laughs> typical of me and my sort of intensity. I remember going to this bookshop, and the only book because this uh, meeting my this ex girlfriend's father, so I had this name Gurdjieff in my mind, and the only book they had that by Gurdjieff was, I don't know if you know about his books, but there's this massive tomb uh, called um, Beelzebub's Tales to his grandson. And it's it's a huge book. I mean, it's the biggest book I think I've ever read. And I just bought it and I just sat down and I used to read this thing. And like nothing else, just like really intensely. And it's so it's so crazy. It's so out there. It's so bonkers that you just cannot get your rational mind around it. Whether that was his intention, I don't know. I suspect he was he was a very mis- mischievous character. So, so but what it does is right. If you've got quite a powerful mind like I have, a rational mind, you keep trying to make sense of it, but you just can't. So something happens in that process. Because I was reading it so intensely, I kind of gave up. Something gave up. And that was really where I first had a, a like very profound experience of, of what I am beyond what I imagined myself to be. Uh, and it was a real sense of, like, there's no going back now. You know, this is <laughs> you can't you can't unrealize what you just saw there. Right. So I, I do have a lot of respect for Gurdjieff. Um, but so this, I think this was around sort of 30 years old. And I, I just remember thinking, my God, you know, why is it that I've been alive for 30 years and nobody has even, you know, talked about this? How can that be? It's just so extraordinary. How can it be? that it's so hidden and so, you know, not in our kind of vernacular or our, our sort of common mainstream vernacular. Uh, so it was around that time that I discovered non-duality. And that felt immediately uh, like what I was looking for because it's so direct, so clear. It's like everything, all the kind of packaging is stripped away and you just get the direct message, you know, like the direct path. I love that expression, the direct path. So that really struck home as soon as I came across that message and I was I was going to see, you know, all the usual suspects. I was living in London at the time. I was in Kentish Town. And, yeah, so I was going to, going to see all people that are still around now, you know, Tony Parsons and, uh, Roger Linden, who's living living very close, was living very close to where I lived. Um, yeah, and then Marnie, she was around at that point. She became a, a good friend. And then Rupert, Rupert Spira. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, a long time ago. And uh, so slowly that realisation I'd had started to, get clearer and clearer um, and 
you know, I can I can feel as I'm speaking, I'm, I'm, something in me wants to start going into the material, but maybe I'll, I'll just sort of, want, I won't do that for now because of the way you want to do this. Uh, so, you, so, because there's kind of two stages. I, I would, I split this into three bits, right? One I call uh, discover who you really, really are. And the reason I put really, really are is because sometimes when we say who you really are, we mean the kind of authentic version of the personal self, right? Rather than the, the sort of facade that we offer. But I'm talking about who you really, really are, right? So that would be the first part of what I offer. Then the second part I call the, the alchemy of transformation. So that's when, you know, the way you're showing up in life actually does transform. And then the third part I would call a new paradigm for living. So that's talking about a new model of reality, a new way to understand reality. It's still a model, so it's not the truth. It's, it's a conceptual model, but we like models. And having uh, a powerful model that has more explanatory than the, the current mainstream materialist model that we're kind of uh, that we grow up with. So the reason I'm saying that now is because this discover who you really, really are, this first bit, which is what, what I'm sort of talking about, and it seems to have two two phases. Like people can, they, they can realize that kind of awareness, that their nature is awareness, you know, that this kind of eternal essence that they are. <clears throat> but there can still be this sense of separation in that, the world still seems outside of them. So they're like the witness. It's often called the witness. And uh, so I, that was what uh, opened for me first. And then it was a few years after that when the kind of witness sort of collapsed into wholeness. Wholeness. So that that needed a different kind of seeing. And that that's where I think a lot of people get blocked because it, it requires you to realize that what you think is reality isn't. <laughs> and that can be really terrifying. It's not terrifying. It's totally um, inspiring. But initially it can seem terrifying. Maybe we'll talk more about that later as well. So that, <clears throat> that happened. And then uh, that's when things kind of change, right? Because you, you see the wholeness. You recognize wholeness. And you see that it's always already that way. And it's just out of habit that you get drawn into uh, a kind of mind version of reality. And, and so you, you seem to not acknowledge or appreciate the wholeness that's already here. So when you, when you really acknowledge that and, and deeply appreciate that, it's like that kind of seeking can't really there's nothing to seek in that sense anymore but it's not the end of the story in fact i would say it's the beginning and i don't i don't mean to say that to put people off right but because what happened to me was there there's a kind of a real blissful wonder in that realization absolutely and it's very profound but i was fortunate enough to then you know meet my wife uh and have two Two, two children 
and basically have all of my shit reflected right back in my face. <laughs> so, you know, all of the fear-based patterning, all of all of the kind of stuff that had grown out of the misbelief that I was a separate limited entity, all of that stuff doesn't just disappear. That's my experience and it's the experience of almost everyone or no, everyone that I've worked with. Although, you you know, I hit, I, I, I'm not going to say that's the way it is, but there are people out there that say otherwise. And, you know, I totally respect that. I can just say it's not been my experience. Uh, so there was, there was a real humbling. I had to get really humble and uh, humility to realize that yes, even even though there's a realization, it's been a real, a very profound realization. You know, I, there's still, I mean, it's, haven't even begun <laughs> this other this other journey, and that other journey is to is to from that from that realization, from that ground of being, to start to really meet and acknowledge all of these kind of split off aspects to the psyche that uh, are kind of completely dissociated. And, and it's that stuff that's running, running your life. So I would say if you have a really, really deep, profound love of truth and freedom, then you can't neglect that secondary part to the journey. Because for me, like I said at the beginning, that was the driving force all along to, to be, you know, to express unashamedly, unreservedly, unapologetically, right? To be who you, who you are, that essence to shine into life fully and freely. So when I realized that that, that wasn't happening, then, you know, that became the next next journey. And it's a different journey. It's not. I would say it's not like seeking in the same way. It's more of a, a kind of sort of archaeological dig <laughs> to the to these sort of layers that have been suppressed or so suppressed that they've become repressed. That's why I would say, you know, I don't you can't have any uh sort of judgment about it. Like people, you know, if you'd spoken to me I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have said I don't have any of that. <laughs> I was so naive, right? I said, no, I'm fine, mate. You know, everything's good here. But that wasn't because I was being dishonest. It, just, I just, it was so unconscious that I just didn't know it was there. So this, this is, this is the, the kind of alchemy of transformation, the second part. So my, my journey on that has been over the last sort of 15 years, 10, 15 years. I don't really can't remember the, the, the numbers of years. But really going into deeper and deeper layers of this unconscious material and, and bringing it into consciousness. Well, you know, those aren't the right words. It's all consciousness. But <clears throat> this kind of obscured part, this dissociated part of consciousness, bringing that, illuminating that, bringing it into that, uh, a light of consciousness of discovery um, and that's really the journey I've been on 
ever since you know ever deepening ever widening and and kind of living this truth and seeing more and more the kind of magical nature of reality as opposed to this kind of uh thinking of it as as being this kind of entity moving through this independently existing physical world right actually really living a, a very different way of seeing uh, and also just to round off the story side of it i would say started to get interested <clears throat> you know how could present a different way of interpreting life so still acknowledging that it's a map but because our current map called scientific materialism which most people don't even realize is a map they think it's just the truth right <clears throat> we've kind of mistaken the map for the territory so my my what i'm interested in now and it's the third part a new paradigm for living <clears throat> is asking this question right it, can we come up with another model that doesn't well look let's look at materialism right it makes us feel isolated it takes away meaning from life it, it's i would say part of the cause of so much mental illness and um depression and anxiety in the world and the, the kind of selfish uh way in which we learn to live our lives to i mean according to the scientific paradigm it's like well, what else could there be to do other than grab as much stuff as you can right, before you die <laughs> i mean life would seem pretty meaningless and absurd from that perspective if you really think about it and i think most people you know they don't realize the implications of that perspective maybe that's something else we can talk about briefly when we get to it so the question is is there some other model we can present that's, that kind of resolves those issues and makes us realize our, our wholeness that that we are all intimately connected not even connected we are we're all partial expressions of the same wholeness um and I think that would that would have a, a huge effect on the way we collectively operate. So that that's kind of those last two are where my sort of focus has become more in recent years. Although you know I still very much honour that first discovering who you really really are because it's it's like the entry point for me into those other two aspects. How does that sound, Louis? Is that good? Yeah, that's that's really interesting, and I've made I've been making a lot of notes as you've been speaking, and I think um, rather than sticking to the structure I sent you, well, I mean, those, I think the notes I've been making are going to cover a lot of that, so maybe that's the best way to proceed. So okay. some questions have popped up, and also, I mean, probably quite a few questions actually. But folks, like initially, could you just um, clarify? the difference as you see it or how you talk about it uh, you said the witness rather uh, the witness versus the wholeness yeah yeah so um you know the, there's this kind of self-inquiry that maybe some of your 
listeners or readers, if they're reading or listening, will be aware of, you know, where you start to look at your experience and you see that the sounds, you know, if you just close your eyes, you could notice the sounds that you're hearing are coming and going. And when the sound disappears, right, you don't disappear. Whatever you are doesn't disappear. Maybe I, I should say to, be, to, to really get the most out of this, you have to really become very childlike and sort of let go of your presumptions and just meet the experience freshly. Yeah, And you notice that the sounds come and go, but you don't. So it's kind of telling you that you're not the sounds, right? Because if you were the sounds, when they're not here, you wouldn't be here either. So you're not made of sound, right? And you can do that. You do the same thing. You do the same thing with sensations, right? You know, if you sort of pinch the back of your hand, right? There's a sort of sharp sensation. And then as that, I'm just doing it now, as that sharp sensation fades away, you don't. So that's that sensation, something that comes and goes. But you, you don't come and go. You're not the sensation. Feelings, right? A feeling of joy, right? I'm really happy. I'm really happy. And then 10 minutes later, I'm really sad for some other reason. Right? <laughs> and the, you know, when the joy disappears, I don't disappear. But when the sadness disappears, and it, I'm, it's just a kind of neutral feeling. I don't disappear, right? So I'm not the feeling. And you just keep going. Like, well, what about the smell? What about the taste? Well, no, that comes and goes too. I don't. And then you get to thoughts, right? To the gap between two thoughts. In that gap, I don't disappear either. So if I was a, if I was made of a thought, something would disappear. I'd black out, or something would kind of something would I don't know, some kind of light would go out, but it doesn't. So it, it, that's just kind of very brief sketch over self-inquiry. So you see that well, what I am isn't any of these things. So what is it? And then often the mind then goes looking for something because that's what we're used to doing. But, of course, anything you find is another sound, smell, taste, colour, sensation, thought, right? And you're not that. So then, I, you know, I encourage people to just notice that grabbing and that trying to grasp, right? And then you just relax. You go the other way. You let go of trying to understand, let go of needing to know. And and as you as you let go more and more, just now, here, now, just allowing yourself this natural resting. And then what's left is, is just being aware. Or I like to switch those words around and just call it aware being. Aware being. That's what's here. But can you, I don't know if you get a sense of that now as, as we're meeting. So if we're not trying to understand anything. But, yeah, it's difficult for me not to go into process here, like we, working with you. <laughs> I'm so used to doing it. I'm not used to talking like this. I don't run meetings like this. They're very, very interactive. So it's quite unusual for me just to sort of talk like we do in an interview. Um, but from that space of aware being, it still seems like those sounds and smells and tastes and thoughts and feelings, they're all out there. 
So the witness is like witnessing life happening. So it's a helpful step because what it does is it, it kind of, it dissolves this conviction that you're somewhere inside the body looking out through two eyes. This is what most people it's, you know, the philosophers call it naive realism. It's like, well, you know, like as, as you're looking at the screen now or say someone's listening to this or reading a reading in a book, right? It seems like the book or the phone or the screen is out there in front of you and you're in here sort of listening to it through your ears or seeing it through your eyes, right? And I, often I do, I ask everyone just to be really honest, like point to where in your physical body you are. And most people will sort of point to the, to the head, right, inside the skull somewhere. Some people might point to their heart. Occasionally people will point to their gut. Uh, and just the fact that people point in different places says something already, right? Actually, I once did it for, for my online course, one of my online courses. I did this, uh, I went to Exeter Town Centre, my local town centre, and I, I went around asking people that question. Like, point to where in your physical body you are. And most people point to the head, some people point to the heart, some people point to the to the chest, to the guts rather, to the stomach. And I, one guy actually pointed to his feet and I asked him, why, why do you point to your feet? And it, it was raining, right? So his feet were wet. So what where he was identifying was where there was a sort of most prominent feeling, this kind of wetness in his feet. That was what was showing up most. So that was where he's, he was identifying himself. So it just shows you that, you know, we have this very, very fluid way of identifying ourselves. Some of us, it'll be in the head because of the perspective of the experience. Some of us, it'll be the heart because maybe we're we're identifying with uh, a kind of a felt sense of compassion or loving kindness or something. Maybe we're feeling a lot of anxiety, so we might point to the to the guts, like literally gut feeling. So it just shows you, you know, it's a very um, subjective idea where this entity inside the body is. So it's a useful way of starting to free up the conviction we have about who we are. Um, so that's, that's, that's what kind of strengthens this idea of being the witness. I'm the entity that's looking at life. So that self-inquiry kind of takes you away from being an entity in the body. So the sensation of being in the head is a sensation appearing or the loving kindness that you're sensing in the heart is a, is a feeling appearing or the, you know, the, the anxiety in your belly is, is a feeling appearing or a sensation appearing. And so you're none of that. You're what's aware of that. You're the awareness. You're the, you're the witness. But then that won't leave you satisfied. You know, we talk about uh, our nature is infinite eternal right how can it be infinite if there's some boundary between that you as a witness and life out there life happening out there so we have to uh, turn our attention away from exploring ourselves as a subject and onto the objects of the world so I'm, I'm kind of skipping over lots of things here i'm talking about 
subject object now so what i mean by that is this is this is what our our kind of traditional um the kind of way we interpret life this is our map that we learn and grow into in our culture which is that there are essentially two kinds of things subjects and objects so you know louis james we're subjects and you know my mouse computer mouse my keyboard these are all objects and so i'm aware of the object so that as the witness all we've done is we've taken that a bit further and we've said what i thought was me like james or louis is another object and i'm i'm like the kind of ultimate subject that even the the, the subject i thought i was <laughs> is also appearing to right so that's that's the witness is that does that make sense louis i it does i think it does yeah um so i have so, not i haven't talked about dissolving the witness now so it, i just want to make sure the witness bit is clear so so if i've got it correctly um how you when you, when you say the witness, it's uh, it's witnessing without attachment to any particular object. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, yeah, it's just pure witnessing, right? So uh, it's so I I could just feel hundreds of things firing off in my head all the time. So I want to I want to kind of stick to what we were talking about. So. What we then do is we turn our attention away onto the objects that we're supposed to be witnessing, right? And so the invitation, again, is, is to become childlike. And so when we become childlike, what we start to realize is, and I, I'm going to talk about it because it's an interview, right, rather than a week-long <laughs> retreat, so... Uh, when we start to drop into that experience without trying to make sense of it, we realize that, that what we're calling objects are literally spontaneously arising perceptions. So these sounds that we're calling my voice, right, without a story attached to them, they're just spontaneously arising sounds. Or if, if you're listening to this, right, these sounds that you're listening to right now are spontaneously appearing in the moment. So the mind puts a story around it, says, no, no, they're not. They're sounds coming out of my speakers that blah, 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 you know, and there's a whole s sequence of story around it. And there's nothing wrong with that story. That's included, too. But when you drop any interpretation, you see that it's just literally spontaneously arising right now as is the feelings, as are the sensations, as are the smells and tastes, as are the colours, the colours that create this as-if experience of a spatial environment. Right? That's a really, really tough one, because we're so used to this naive realism of, of no, I'm inside a skull looking out through eyes, listening through ears at something out there. And that's where we keep going back to, right? But when we drop, we drop our interpretation. That's not what we, that's not what reveals itself. So uh, I, I sometimes like to help 
people to that realization by actually reminding them of what like mainstream science says not because i'm trying to support that view i mean it's an interesting story but it, it is helpful because people put so much um stock in science right it's been so successful over the last three centuries that world view all the gadgets and gizmos and technology and things that we've invented that people trust science right science knows although maybe not so much in recent times but um so yeah if if you look at your sort of biological textbook right it would tell you that your eyes and ears and skin and nose and everything is absorbing uh data from the environment right and it will get sent to your brain and then this supposedly this miraculous process happens in your brain where you know this material thing supposedly suddenly creates this virtual reality so even if you're going with sort of regular science mainstream science like what you're experiencing right now the depth the vivid detail everything is a virtual reality it's spontaneously appearing it's rendering itself like on the fly spontaneously so it's really really important to get that and this is what a lot of people get stuck on because it is it seems too too ridiculous too crazy like too sort of woo woo or something but it's not right this is mainstream science right so the tingling sensations in your face like if you walk down the street the sense of movement of your limbs the smells that pass you, the images of passers-by, the shops, the, the cars, the trees, the sky, all of it is spontaneously appearing now. So what, when I explain it in that way, then the invitation is then to like, let go of the scientific story now. Okay, so just stay of this virtual reality experience stay with that and then what we do then is you just bring these seeming two together right so the sense of what you are the awareness the witness and this spontaneously arising happening this flow of perceptions that creates life and you basically bring those seeming two together and you just ask yourself like can i can i divide them apart yeah so if i'm james sitting on a chair looking at louis out there in the world then yes i can divide them apart i'm over here you're over there and it's about well if we were in the same room a couple of meters between us right or the screen is there that i'm looking at you on that's a half a meter away there's the separation but now switch, switch to what the work we've just done. You're aware being. Where's aware being? Just here. here. Can't point to where. And where is this image appearing? It's appearing here. Even with its sense of spatial position, right? All that's all of that's appearing here. So how are you going to measure a distance between here and here? Where are you going to start measuring? Where's awareness? Where's aware being? Where are you going to stop measuring? Is it, well, these questions start to not make any sense. And you just let the whole thing collapse together.
So this kind of seeming glass wall that divides life from the witness of life, you let it collapse and you let it fill. So it's like the emptiness fills with all the sounds, all the smells, all the sensations, all the thoughts and feelings, all the colors, everything. You You let the emptiness of the awareness fill with all of life. And then what's left is this wholeness, this fullness. So that's that's what I'm talking about with that that extra step. So, see, so yeah, I've got some notes here, and <laughs> listening to what you've been saying, I'm just I guess I'm just trying to rearrange it in my head into a series of questions. Um, so, for example, okay, maybe as a starting point, let's say you're speaking or you're working with someone who's brand new to this and whatever whatever it is that drew them to this there and let's assume this is happening when we're actually allowed to be around people again um so let's say you're in the room with them do you do you do you tailor the way you speak about this or the way you work with them entirely on the person or do you have a set approach or yeah how do you tend to how do you tend to approach this yeah, so I, I I tend to speak at the beginning about you know what brings us all into this, so that that sense of yearning, of longing, uh, of recognizing that you know nothing in life is giving us that uh, that sense of right, true satisfaction of contentment that we're longing for. You know, like whatever, whatever the relationship is, whatever. The, whatever success we might have in our careers or, you know, whatever money or power or whatever it is, even family life, children, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. They're all beautiful in their own way, but, you know, they can't, they can't bring us that, they can't scratch that unscratchable itch, right? And then, you know, often we then move into therapy or spirituality to, uh, you know, the, the journey, instead of looking outwardly, it starts looking inwardly. And again, that can bring a lot of um, that can bring a, a lot of ease into our life, and we can feel feel better. But we still doesn't quite do it, right? And other people might just try and escape through, you know, yeah, obvious things like drugs and alcohol, but less obvious things like just being busy, just being really busy all the time, right? Overworking, overthinking just keep themselves occupied so that they don't have to recognize that underlying sense of dissatisfaction. So normally, you know, I talk about that kind of thing to make people realize that they're in the right place, right? They can relate to that. But then, you know, you have to swiftly move into, well, what's causing that issue? What's the real cause of that? And that's where we come to that subject-object split, because as soon as you you take on that belief that you're a subject in a world of objects and other subjects, what you've done there is you've isolated yourself. And it's that sense of isolation that creates uh, those feelings of anxiety, uh, of longing, and that something's missing, because it is missing, right? <laughs> you just you split yourself off from the whole. So, you know, that's kind of the premise. That's where you have to start, empathizing with what people are experiencing and then 
introducing them to the true cause of what they're experiencing. And then the question is, well, you know, what are we going to do about that? We have to look into it, the subject, and that's what we've just been talking about. How do we look into that? And in 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 looking into it, that subject object sort of collapses together, and then we're no longer experiencing ourselves as that separate isolated unit. We experience ourselves as the wholeness. So that's that's really, in a nutshell, what it what that journey is about. Okay, um, so I'm going to take that and relate it to something I'm familiar with, and then I guess um, give it back to you with that language because it may may help me as well um, speak about this. Um, yeah. So, would you say so? Your focus then is is making people or bringing to their attention a sense their sense of separation. Yeah, so, good. Um, part of your last question was, you know, do I treat people differently according to where they're at? So it's related, because uh, what I find is that people can enjoy and exploring everything I've just said, all the things I've just said up till now in this interview. And they can kind of intellectually appreciate it, actually, and find it fascinating. It might be a bit scary, but they, they kind of, you know, oh, yeah, nice. But then they, they, then they, but then they still feel that it's not, there isn't its completeness, right? So this is where I, when I work in meetings, I don't sit at the front, like the all-knowing kind of guru disseminating the, the knowledge, right? I invite people up to sit with me and I get them to to listen, to listen intuitively to what's happening. So not not necessarily to their rational mind, but if they do have rational mind questions, that's okay, that's okay, we can deal with that too. But to really listen, like what's coming up, like what fears are here, what um self-judgments are here. So this is this is utterly tailored to the individual person that's speaking, right, to exactly what they need and where they're at. But this starts to go into that second territory that we haven't talked about yet. So I'm just going to put that on hold for a second. Um, what What was it? What were you asking then, just that second question? That um, so, well, no, but you say it goes into the second territory. I mean... I'm happy to keep a fluid structure with this yeah, interview sorry. if it helps. Um, yeah, just to finish up, just to finish up what you were saying. Yeah, so so they can have they can have a an appreciation of what I'm talking about, right? That it's the fact that they believe they're separate that creates that sense of longing uh, and lack, uh, and uh, yeah, this feeling that something's missing. Uh, so they can explore that, and maybe it can even have an insight and a felt sense of the wholeness I'm talking about. But what happens is that it's not enough, Louis. It's not enough. And so if you're honest, if you're honest, you have to, you have to admit that. And there are a lot of people walking around 
to understand non-duality uh, and they you know they understand that they're already whole already complete that there's nothing to get there's nowhere to go it's already done and yet right in their lives there's still there's still longing and so you know i try and get people to acknowledge that to, to really be truthful with themselves and then we have to this is where we now start going into that secondary territory right which says right i realize i realize that although i understand this and i can see the truth of it and maybe i even experience it sometimes actually in the majority of my life i feel still feel you know sad or longing or unexpressed and that i've got so much more to offer like i mean i as in my real nature to offer as louiness or jamesness as this expression uh, and it's not happening why isn't it fucking happening <laughs> so that's when we go into that secondary territory and what we realize is the reason it isn't unfolding is because there are all kinds of kind of dissociated fragments of the psyche that are still running around in their kind of short circuit based on whatever it was that you experienced that fragmented you yeah so whenever we get overwhelmed particularly when we're much younger and we can't deal with the situation right we split something splits it's a kind of unique talent that we have instead of you know the busting the hardware the hardware rather instead of the, the system being getting broken because it's too overwhelming right we we have a sort of safety mechanism which is to split so we, we sound like we freeze we freeze it down if you imagine i had this image once of like frenetic activity that's so overwhelming right if you freeze it all down then it slows and it slows and it slows until it's ice, right? And then it stops. And it's like, ah, oh, it's like a relief. So this is what we do. We, we, we get overwhelmed and then part, part of us freezes in that moment. And it's like a dissociated, dissociates. And it's like a fragment that gets buried in the what we could call the unconscious right this is a part of the psyche that we're not aware of and i would say that the reflection of that is the physical body so there'll be a, a corresponding clench or a tightness somewhere in the physical body so if you if you add up all of those fragments that build up over a lifetime or maybe longer than that depending on your view of reality then you have a very dense, tense physical body. And what that does is it reinforces the sense of separateness. Yeah, if you, if you just clench your fist right now, in the clenching of the fist, right, it feels, it feels more, more present, more here. So if you, if you imagine it, you're clenching subtly your whole body, or maybe not so subtly, just don't realize, you're clenching the whole body, it makes you feel like more separate, right? And it's just like a suit of armor. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like a, like literally a protection. So that 
doesn't matter what you what you see the truth of what you see and understand right that stuff is still there this is what i experienced some people claim they have like one huge energetic explosion right and the whole thing just sort of unravels all in one go yeah well great that's not my experience my experience is there there's a journey of listening it's like this is what i mean now by deep listening so it can be very very powerful when we work together in that you know i'm i'm like the guide and i'm showing how when you meet what's here from that place of wholeness which isn't a place yeah from our true nature which is um completely unconditional so it's whole and complete has nothing to get has no reason to judge or hold have conditions so it's completely accepting by nature it's not something that you have to do and it's from there that you allow these aspects these characters to to slowly emerge and and you greet them from this unconditional welcoming and you know my god louis when you start that process when that door opens it's like wow it's really well you'll find you know down there the narcissist the the kind of self-judger the tyrant the the inner dictator the sad little one shivering in the corner that feels hopeless and uh broken and just so much that's been denied and repressed and buried and here's the wonder because as you as you meet your fear then that as you meet and integrate that the fearful one it becomes a doorway a doorway into reclaiming your true essence energies of strength and power and courage and passion and excitement as as you're able to meet uh the kind of shame and guilt that you feel that we all feel it's all buried down there yeah and we start to connect with this kind of sensuality creativity self-expression personal boundary setting right we respect ourselves suddenly and then we hold strong boundaries self-expression that's clear we're not afraid to stand to to express ourselves clearly honestly authentically you know sadness sadness grief that becomes a doorway into compassion sensitivity tenderness softness it's like all of these incredible s energies that are a part of our essence they, they sort of come online yeah they come online we're able to access them and so you know the, the way we show up in life yeah starts to be a free expression of our of of aware being so this is where it gets really exciting because then it's like you're you're an you're kind of an unconstrained undistorted agent of wholeness in the world 
that's why I call what I do authentic living, because I think, you know, all the great spiritual traditions, this is where they they head towards, right? So it's non-action in Buddhism. It's it's way will way of Taoism. It's it's when your all your activity is coming straight out of the ground of being, rather than being constrained by uh, the, uh, the the fear-based patterns of a personal self. Okay. Um, so, so just to help me un- understand as well, because I when I when I, when I speak about it, well, in interviews or or just in general, I, I guess I separate the uh, just for, for, to help me categorize things. I help. Uh, put the non-duality aspect with the philosophical part of it or the philosophical discussions um, in one in one section and the more practical things which you know may help you have a more well-being a, you know better life and so on in another section um, and I think I'm tr- trying to understand how you would work with someone I mean for you do those two work in parallel or are they all the same thing and how I mean how do you how do you work with people and again maybe I'm sort of reiterating a lot of what we talked about but how how do you if you can maybe give me examples of how you communicate with different people depending on maybe where you know where they're coming from yeah it's a good question Louis and I don't want to separate them anymore I want to really mix them together because you know, what I found is, you know, it's like, you know, an analogy, a friend of mine is is a therapist, right? And he tell, told me this story once about another therapist friend of his that told him, you know, this guy was coming to him, very intelligent guy, like super, super clever, very wealthy, very successful, you know, and they went through like a whole eight week intense uh thing of therapy i think it was even longer than that i can't quite remember the, you know and this guy you know telling him all these things and everything you know and and, it, and they went through all, all this kind of deep deep stuff and then they got to the final session and then right at the end of the final session the guy finally admitted he said my wife won't sleep with me and it's doing my head in <laughs> and it, the reason i'm saying that is because you know, sometimes I feel people get locked up in the philosophy, right? They want to try and understand the nature of reality. They want to try and understand what non-duality is talking about. They want to get it, right? And the thing is, I don't think that's what they really want. I thought they, what they really want is to live a fully expressed life. And to to feel that that wonder of their being shining into life, I think that's what we all really want. I think that's what the universe wants, right? I think it wants to really express fully and freely, and really uh, be all that it can be. And I don't that's, that's, I don't mean that as a judgment, but I mean. It's it's when we misunderstand who we are that it creates all this restriction. So 
I see it as a kind of means towards the real discussion, which is, you know, what what is still being suppressed and needs to be welcomed in. But the reason it's important, and this is why I don't divide the two, is because you need to have that ground of being as your support in order to open up the unconscious, what I would call the unconscious, because otherwise it would be too horrific. It would it would seem too much. It would seem too much. You think you'd go mad or something. But when you have when you're grounded in being, then it's okay, right? There's this there's this unconditional welcoming and everything's allowed to come. And what I've also seen is that as people uh, feel supported in opening to what's here, their their sense of establishment in their being also grows. So that's why I would not divide the two. It's like, you know, they, they start to face into a deep fear that they're holding and they see that it's okay and they allow more of it to come and more of it to come and you see it's okay and they see it's okay. And what that's doing is they're becoming less and less identified with the the fear-based character and they're becoming more and more identified with being the ground of presence of being. So this is why I would say they're in, intrinsically linked. So the last part of your question, so if you came and sat with me in a meeting, I would, I would well, first of all, we would look at each other. I would invite you to, to meet me directly. Not, no, we're not staring at each other, right? It's just a, it's just a kind of gentle gaze, and, and we start to listen. What's here? If that's too awkward or if it's distracting, you can close your eyes. It doesn't matter. But just all I want you to do is so simple. Just listen. Deeply listen to what's here. Intuitively, not with the rational mind. And maybe there's nothing. So we start with nothing. There's nothing. Well, there's a numbness. And then slowly start to notice other things because we're listening. Maybe there's uh, a sadness that starts to come through. And then we'll kind of role play and I'll, I'll, I'll start asking questions that seem to, sentences that seem to come very naturally. And then we'll see where it leads. Maybe the, maybe the sadness opens up into a sense of uh, shame. And that maybe that opens up into a sense of being kind of wrong or bad. And that I need to be something to, to I need to I need to prove myself or I need to be special in order to get some get love or get attention. And all of this stuff just te- when you when you're very still and listening, it just tell it just reveals itself so easily. And if there's a, an atmosphere which is welcoming and conducive to that, then it unfolds very easily. Uh, and then we welcome those characters in, so people can get, you know, might get very upset, might they might might get, yeah, be a lot of grief coming up, or they might get very angry, right, really furious. So we allow that energy to come up, but we're not we're not getting lost in it. We're not getting possessed by it. We're not get not acting it out. No, we're 
being with it, integrating it. And like I said before, like it's like fear, like anger is another beautiful energy that when we when we can meet it and integrate it, it becomes a doorway into that strength and power, into that kind of uh, excitement and passion. It's like really, it's like virility, life force. So that's how I'd work. I mean, you know, if we had time, I'd do it now. But, you know, we might, <clears throat> you're welcome to join me. I do, you know, I do very regular sessions on Zoom uh, that you're welcome to join. Okay, okay. Um, so, so outside of meetings, I mean, do you also offer approaches or techniques you found helpful to people and to share those and related to that and, and tell me if I've got this wrong is a lot of what you do a lot of your approach is it uh, emotion focused or is it um, yeah is it, is it is it very feeling focused uh, is it feeling focused uh, well yeah feelings are included but it's this, what we're really doing is working with the felt sense of separation in the body. Because the sense of separation in the body is, a, like I said earlier, is a reflection of what's still being held onto in the psyche. They're two sides of the same thing. So the psyche and the patterning we're holding in the psyche is a reflection of the tensions and the felt sense of holding in the body. So what we're doing with that philosophy is we're talking about the ideas and we're unraveling the intellectual hooks in the mind. And with that secondary process, we're going for the felt sense of separation in the body and unwinding that. And so the way we're doing that is by, by listening to what naturally reveals itself like the characters that naturally reveal themselves when they're given the opportunity and the space to come up and reveal themselves so you know i don't know if you want to call that feeling based or sensation based or psychosomatic i don't know you know you can call it whatever you like i just call it transformation okay um, I guess I was just trying to, rel I mean, I'd, obviously this uh, interview isn't at all about me, but I, I guess I was trying to relate it to um, my experience. A lot of my experience has been very uh, feeling-based, uh, but I mean, I can maybe touch upon that a little bit later, but I just, I just wondered on your approach. And so outside of a meeting, I mean, do you offer techniques or approaches that allow people to... I guess sit on their own and yeah yeah do yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I mean not not even outside of the meeting I mean within the you know I everything that I discover that I think is useful and helpful I bring into the meetings right that's what we're doing so um like the the meditations that I do at the beginning of sessions are are kind of designed to bring us into that um childlike simplicity that innocence so that we're letting go of all the investment in our ideas and beliefs and presumptions 
that are designed to soften that, or some of them will be designed to allow this sense of aware being kind of percolating into the body like like a sort of healing balm oozing in to to the the tensions and the the clenches and just allowing them to soften this unconditional welcoming um so all those kinds of things and the process that we do like when people come up when we sit together you know what we're doing really is modeling what they can do themselves anytime they choose it does seem that in the sessions because you know there's a group there and they're being witnessed it does act as a kind of catalyst so you you know it's an amplifier you're able to see what you're holding much much more kind of powerfully you know it's much more it's much more present so you get to see it and you also have the support uh to to really meet it more deeply than maybe you've allowed yourself previously so that's that's really powerful for the meetings um but then yeah the invitation is that people see what's possible in the meetings and then they slowly start start to uh take that on for themselves uh you know i have i make no bones about the fact that you 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 listening to this now not just you louis but whoever is listening to this or the, or the you beyond the personal self which is me <laughs> you me i talking to itself again <laughs> but you know whatever we are is the true master right that's that's why i love the word intuition inner tuition inner tutor the inner master right you're the one so nobody else is going to give it to you so there are guides like me along the way but my job in a way is to to keep handing it back to you because you're the one yes you <laughs> you you who's hearing this now or reading this now you just feel that you know when i when i give it back again that's the point and so we come together to support each other in that recognition again and again and again until it becomes more and more established more and more felt so yeah i mean this i'm always bringing new stuff in i'm a singer right i I'm, I'm, i'm a musician so i i write songs i sing songs in sessions as well which helps to really open the heart and enables people to really allow deep deep feelings to kind of well up deep holdings to unravel um i use music recorded music as well i've started using movement more and more encouraging people to to you know allow whatever wants to move in their body to move like doesn't have to look like anything maybe maybe it's curling up in the corner and like trying to hide so what allowing these characters to come out in the physicality as well as talking about it or feeling it so uh yeah i i want 
I, I'm really interested in allowing my retreats and sessions to become richer and richer in that way. Um, I mean, that kind of leads to a question I've written down is, um, as you've been talking, I mean, where did, I mean, obviously, where, I mean, where did your approach come from? I mean, how did you develop your approach? Yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah I guess, yeah, where, where did it come from? How did you find it? How, how have you developed it? And how has it potentially changed over time? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, I, I started off, like I shared at the beginning, um, just feeling unhappy and wanting to express myself. So, you know, my search for that led to, well, first academic. So I was developing my mind, right, of my rational mind thinking the rational mind will solve the problem. And then into like music, self-expression, and then into acting, which is kind of self-expression throughout the whole body in a sense. So these, you know, in a way I can see I was picking up different skills along the way. And then when I got into spirituality, uh, and seeking proper, I would say, like knowing I was seeking, then, you know, the the way that really resonated with me was the non-duality. So that really the way I speak, the, the three sections I'm speaking about are a kind of reflection of my own journey. So the, so the first way I speak is the kind of non-duality message, you know, which I often, I give my own flavor to um, you know the way I break it down is very me so that really is speaking to the rational mind you know and I'm trying to get the rational mind to understand that what it thinks is true is what it's believing is true it's not what's true yeah, I mean, that in itself is, a, you know, that in itself is a kind of awakening. Because, like I think I said earlier, most people believe that the way they think life is, life is, the way they think life is, is the way life is. They don't realize it's the way they think life is. And so, you know, when you start to realize that the things you take for granted, like, I don't know, the divisions between countries the or, or nations or date lines or, you know uh, the clock system the number system the 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 words we use for things the concepts we use the ideas these are like building blocks that we've constructed a whole modern society out of they're maps they're all maps it just so happens that over so many centuries or so many millennia or period of, of time, well, 50,000 years supposedly since we really exploded with self-reflection and conceptual, you know, it's become so dense, that map, that now 
growing up, we we forget it's a map and we think it's reality. So actually, you know, realizing that you can never you can never understand reality with the mind. Like you can say, oh, no, it's A, but then why is it A? Well, because of B. Or why is it B? Because of C. And, you know, you either go on ad infinitum, you could never come to a, a kind of answer, or you say, oh, it's C because of A, <laughs> and you get caught in a circularity. See, if you really understand that, it's so liberating. It means that you can you can use different perspectives without having to, you know, say they're right or wrong. You can use whichever perspectives are most optimal. I love that word, optimal. Like, what's optimal now? Well, going to the GP and, you know, getting my, I don't know, arm plastered because I broke it, right? That's the most optimal response. But then I might want to, I don't know, connect with my ancestors. So I won't go to the GP because they'll just think I'm nuts, right? I'll go to the, I don't know, a shaman and do some ceremony because it's a different worldview, right? It doesn't mean that that's wrong and the other one is right or vice versa. They're different worldviews that have different functions. So that's, and that's liberation itself. It opens you up to an infinitude of perspectives. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm not dissing the rational mind. Quite the opposite. In fact, that was one of my revelations because I did go through a period where I was, and this often happens, right? When you see through something that you believed in, you then trash it. And so I did exactly that. And I, I, was, I was really critical of my critical mind. <laughs> you see the irony in that? And so it was a real liberation for me to to be able to really fall in love with my intellect again and see that it's another function it's another tool um so you know i'm quite helpful with people who who get caught up in that there's so many there's so many cul-de-sacs to that you know even a nihilism where you say oh nothing means anything it's still the rational mind it's like it's it's like it well if you can't have it if i can't have it my way I'm going to dis- destroy everything, make it all meaningless. So it's still ruling the roost. And what we're talking about is getting beyond the rational mind. So, so I'm still um, very much happy to talk to people in ways that connect with the rational mind to unravel the rational mind, because that's an important process. And then we lose identity with it and it becomes another tool. Yeah. So I would say um, because of my intellect, I'm, I'm very much interested in that aspect, talking about that aspect. Yeah. And talking to people's minds and trying to sort of gently unravel their certainties. But then, uh, because in my own journey, I, I, you know, I obviously got to the point where I realized that, that the rational mind can't do it. It's not difficult. It's impossible. And that doesn't mean the rational mind isn't important, but uh, I like to guide people to kind of the end of thought, to get them to realize that 
you know, whatever questions they're asking, it's, it's in the asking of the question that they create the very structures about which they're asking. Right? When you can really see that, then you get to that point where there's, there is just this. There is just this. And if you say anything about it, you, you know, you're, you're already dividing it somehow. You know, even to call it being or even to call it being, right, you've called it something. So you've, you've distinguished it from non-being, right? And that's so that's not true. So in the end, you're just left like there's just this. So and even to say this is to distinguish it from that. And there is no that. So it's the this that has no that. <laughs> so in the end, right, you have to get to the end of thought. Uh, and so that's. You know, I'm I'm really happy to go there because I've I've really traversed that ground. But the reason that I then speak about this other stuff is because I know from my own experience and from all the people I work with that beautiful as that recognition is, it's not enough. Because you you find that you still have that yearning, and because I really think that what we, we're truly longing for is that free expression. Yeah, in becoming civilized, in, in, in gaining self-reflection, in becoming civilized, having civilization, societies, in the in the process we've had to suppress our our nat- our naturalness. We, we all have this wildness in us, right? This wild ecstatic expression. And we've had to suppress it in order to enable societies to work because in historically right you can't be wild a wild man because you know it's dangerous it, you people people are afraid of it and maybe in the past that's true but because we haven't had the the presence to be able to be with it right so it just possesses us we get this feeling of anger and, and we just go out and kill someone or, or you know attack someone which actually still happens of course when people lose lose control you know or you 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 kind of destroy something because you can't you can't be with that energy right so we've learned to suppress it but what what i really think is that what's being asked is is and right now is really happening is we can't do that anymore it will not be repressed it will not be and so it's coming, it comes up, right? It comes up in um, inopportune situations like drive-by shootings and all the rest of it. But what's being asked is using the wisdom of what we truly are, realizing our fundamental nature, is to then turn towards these energies again and allow them to emerge, allow them to come up. And again, that's inspired by my own experience, which has been when you do that, all of that aliveness, all of that expression, all of that joy and passion and excitement, it just comes back, right? It's like the exuberance of childhood, the wonder of childhood that that you never know what's going to happen next. And it's so exciting. <laughs> all of that comes back, right? And that's what I think we're really longing for. And I think that's what 
you know, we, we, well, we can get into the third part of what I was going to speak about. But I think if you look at the history of the universe, the story of the universe, it's only a story. It's a story. It's a time space based story appearing in the presence that we are. However, that story is a story and it seems to have a narrative to it, which is like, you know, 10 billion years of inorganic noodling along. <laughs> and then the emergence of, you know, single cellular life and multicellular life and, a, and an experience like through life, the, the, the essence that we are in, the, in experiencing something. And then another whatever, four billion years goes by until we evolve into this, where not only is it experiencing, but there's a self-reflection. It can, it can know that it's experiencing, right? And then we get all the gunk that that creates because now we're self-conscious. So there's a, load of, there's a double-edged sword, right? But now we can know that we're experiencing, but there's all this gunk that it creates. So now... We're being invited for the next step, right? This is the next developmental stage, which is now we've got self-reflection, but instead of it ending here in the personal self, it goes back to the true self, the true ground of being, the true identity. And then when it does that, when all of this suppressed material can come up because it's got the ground now. Yeah, and then and then it it's literally transmuted. It's a doorway. It's a portal into all those essence qualities being realized in the play, in the game. Yeah, actually in the field of of manifest experience. This is the this is the genius. This is the the extraordinary possibility that's being presented. So what I'm offering and the sequence in which I'm offering it has literally come out of my own journey uh i never say anything that i i haven't experienced or um hasn't come out of my own meetings with others uh, and the understanding and the wisdom that's come from those interactions i'm not interested in in you know empty slogans So you say this leads to the third part of what you want to talk about. So you, I, I assume you've sort of been touching on, upon that already, but is there, I mean, what, how do you want to um, talk about that part? Yeah, so that, that part, um, comes back to when I, if I speak to people that aren't, in the world of non-duality or spirituality or um, self-exploration, you know, this is all, well, what is it? <laughs> they might be interested or might, oh, that's interesting. You know, they're not, they're not drawn to it as yet. But what sometimes does connect is when you, you say, well, look, do you realize what you believe without knowing it or what you're subscribing to? without knowing it and many people don't and they don't understand that our current scientific materialist paradigm that we you know although we might not be told it specifically or explicitly is implicitly 
we implicitly take it on from the, the day we're born in the way that we interact with one another and the way our you know parents education system everything society is predicated on is basically saying that you know what what the world is 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 basically material stuff that is not conscious it's non-conscious it's not even unconscious because if it was unconscious it would be consciousness but not quite aware of itself right it's not conscious it's just non-conscious it's just dead essentially so there's this big space of dead stuff called matter or, or well actually they it's it's now it's waves quantum waves that then you know ripples within the waves create particles that then create uh material stuff so the idea is that the world is spatial and made of matter and then everything like literally everything that you can see and touch and feel including your own body and brain and nervous system is all made out of arrangements of this stuff like lego bricks uh and you know when your body dies that's it because there's only the stuff there's nothing else um you well, just, you know, just, just think about it for a minute, right? Your, your brain and your nervous system is doing everything, according to this philosophy, right? You're, you know, you're nodding your head right now as I'm speaking. But, you know, there isn't an entity nodding its head. There is just purely mechanical processes going on, receiving signals, processing according to, you know, different... Uh, what's held in different parts of the brain and nervous system and accessing and, and, uh, and kind of executing different commands, right? You're, you're basically a machine. You're a machine. And not only are you a machine, but I'm a machine. And the whole universe is a, like a gigantic machine. So there's this gigantic machine that's not made of anything conscious that's, in, you know, just lumbering through its steps from from the big from the big bang to the end of time i mean what could be more sort of meaningless and purposeless so it's not it's not like that there's you know we're talking about the entity in the head or the heart it's not saying that there's no entity it's not saying that the the entity in the head or the heart isn't doing anything it's saying there is no entity there's just a machine and not only that, but like the entire universe and all of time and space is like a sort of four-dimensional block, and it's all determined. And, it, and it, it's like literally, we're just so <laughs> we're non-conscious machines living through a predetermined block of universe. And when we're dead, we're just dead, and that's it. I mean, can you imagine something more meaningless and absurd? I mean, n- not really. And you're an isolated, you're an isolated unit in that. You know, so we wonder why everyone's running around, you know, bring, being selfish and greedy and grabbing as much as they can. And the environment's going down the toilet and politics is going down the toilet and 
economics economies going down the toilet i mean you know you you can't sustain that kind of model it's totally understand so my what i say to people is is there another model that we can use and i think there is and i think it's obvious and you know it's not new it's been around for millennia probably longer than that probably as long as humans could have conceptual thoughts but there are you know there are a number of things we have to sort of bear in mind like if we're going to have a model we have to explain things like well why is it that i'm speaking now and i'm seeing your face and you seem to be hearing what i'm saying right so there's some kind of shared reality so we have to account for that not so this isn't non-duality now right in non-duality we don't have to account for that because we're destruct we're deconstructing everything we're not reconstructing a new model that's really important some people think non-duality is solipsism which means there's only my mind right because i say i the witness and being the experience right uh but that's a but solipsism is a model and it's not a very good one so if you want to be a solipsist you're very welcome but that's not what non-duality is saying and some people make that mistake right they're still in a model it's called solipsism real non-duality is getting rid of everything until all that's left is this and you and you even to say it's solipsism you you is you're not it's like we said before you you're saying something about it it's not true you've gone into concept so that's why i like to make this distinction it's really important so solipsism is a model it's a metaphysic it's a philosophy so what we're doing now is we we're back into philosophy and metaphysics so that's not what non-duality is just want to be really clear about that so we can use our non-dual understanding to build a new philosophy that makes sense according to that right but but we've got to we've got to accommodate the fact that we're having a shared experience we've got to accommodate for the fact that if you mess around with my brain then it seems to affect the nature of my experience there's some some kind of relationship there um so we you know we need to we need to find a way of accommodating those facts of experience uh but also maybe having an extended explanatory framework that can include things that normal materialist science can't explain right so the way we do that is very simple well <laughs> simple but we come back to the ground of being so there is the ground of being right the ground of being is like one mind it's one mind and that mind so there's no what we're saying is no physical reality there is no material reality or you could say physicality is what we experience is the experience but we call it physicality but it's actually a kind of spontaneously arising perceptual experience flow of perceptions so we could say there's one mind and 
uh, within that mind, it has this ability to somehow like constrain itself, like uh, contract itself down to experience from a particular location within itself, like a, a point of view within itself. So it, it, what it's, what's it's experiencing, so you as Louis right now are the whole contracted down to an individual perspective on the whole. So what you're seeing as you look around, you're seeing the thoughts of the one mind. But you're seeing those thoughts like rendered, yeah, rendered as an experience, a human specific experience. So if you were, if, if you were, the ground of being that had contracted itself down to being, I don't know, a frog, <laughs> then you would be experiencing the same mind from a different location, but also as a different species-specific experience, right? So it's still just the one mind, but it can contract itself down in these different forms, seeming forms, and experience its own mind locations okay so that that's that would explain why we have a shared experience without you louis having to be separate from me james right we're still the one we're still the same essence but that that has if you like wearing a different costume right so then if, if we if that was our paradigm if we learned that if that was implicit in everything we do since the day we're born then we would have no problem in realizing that ultimately I am you and you are me. And then the thought of wanting to like do you harm or be unkind to you wouldn't really be a very good idea because you are me. <laughs> you know, it's like just logical. We wouldn't even have to be sort of moralistic about it. So that's one thing. And you can see the effect of that. And then you could say, well, but hold on. You know, we, you know, if I mess around with your brain, then your experience is, so it's got something to do with the brain, right? So we could say, yeah, so we have to introduce this kind of dual aspect, right? And the dual aspect says, uh, you know, there's an external and there's an internal. So when, as I look at your, you now, I'm seeing, you know, a physical body, right? And if I opened up your skull i would see a physical brain and there would be a nervous system so what we could say is that like that experience of louis that image or that icon if you like is a representation third person third person representation of louis's first person experience so the infinite experience that you're having of the one mind from a particular location, that first person experience, what that looks like from the outside, yeah, is the body and brain and nervous system of Louis. Right? That's what it looks like in my first person experience. <laughs> so if you see a frog, the image that you see of a frog is the human species specific third person image of the first person experience of a frog or a first frog experience of a frog. <laughs> uh, 
And the same goes for everything. Okay? So now what you're doing is you're enchanting life. So everything you see is like the external image of some kind of internal experience. So the whole thing, you're not walking through some dead, inert, outside like world. Yeah? You are you are the whole world itself kind of experiencing itself and seeing other experiences and what they look like from the outside. The outside image of an inner experience. So that's why, you know, if, if you twiddle with my brain, it changes my experience, right? It's not because that the brain is causing experience. It's because the brain is like a symbol of, of that process by which the whole, the one mind contracts itself down to experiencing itself from that location. So, you know, you're, you know, if you, if you do psychedelics or, um, you know, plant medicines, things like that, then you see changes in the chemistry of the brain, right? And that's, again, it's an image of, the process that's going on that's creating the first person experience so we we can find a way of explaining what we see in in the world in first person experience or, or the data that we see in the world but from, from a different model that doesn't make us believe that we're these separate limited isolated units which then creates all these problems um yeah i don't know how that's landing there's so much more i could say about that no that's that's really that's really interesting i mean just something that jumps to mind i I think i read about it today earlier today and somewhat related maybe and i just thought quite interesting is apparently scientists are getting quite excited that the shape of the universe is very similar if to the shape of the brain and that's something they're looking into a lot more. I just thought that was quite interesting and maybe ties into that a little bit. Yeah, right. Well, that'd be interesting because then, you know, you look at the universe with enough distance and you could say it looks a bit like a brain, right? All the different synapses. And yeah. I'm not saying it is a brain, but it's the, the mind of the one mind. But you see, the problem with science, you know, this, I don't know if you've looked into all of this, but, you know, science is at a real difficult place now because, you know, because it believes that reality is material and not conscious, right? What it's done there, because obviously all we have is actually our conscious experience. Yeah, this first person experience this, this virtual reality that I was talking about earlier, that's all we have, right? You can't look beyond it. It's like Einstein talked about this. It's like, it's like the watchmaker that can, you know, you, you can't see inside the watch, right? You can't, you can't get inside it. You can't look outside of your experience. If you're going to look at the hands of the clock, you can't... You, I can't remember the exact analogy. I'm not remembering it very well, but uh, the, the point is that you can't step outside your experience to see what reality is. Because if you did, 
by definition, it would be your experience. So what we've forgotten is that this supposed world of material stuff in space and time is a concept. It's a philosophy. It's a map. Right. But what we've done is we believe that the map is the territory. So now we've got to this really weird place where we're trying to work out how the brain creates conscious experience. Like this experience you're having now, we, we can't work out how the brain creates it. Because the brain is material and non-conscious, and this is a conscious experience. Right. But the point is that we're never, ever going to work that out because isn't that how it works? What we're trying to do there is we've we've we're trying to make we're trying to work out how the map gives rise to the territory. Can you see that's that's never ever going to work, right? Because we've forgotten that we made the map up and we think it's the real thing. So when you get that, that's just a philosophy, right? And then we think, well, what other what other philosophy could we have that really works better? then this, this is so much more elegant, right? Because it, that problem disappears. The brain doesn't create the experience. It's a symbol in the experience for the process that consciousness is going through, creating this contracted perspective from this location. And that's why if you mess around with it, it affects the way it appears. So, you know, it's so, it's so much more powerful. And it doesn't get rid of all the powerful discoveries of science that we've made to date. It just says they are they're explaining how the appearance, how the appearance functions. Right. So we, we still include all of that knowledge, but it, we include it in a more uh, expanded view. So electromagnetism, gravity, you know, all of these things we've discovered, all these elegant formulas to to relate to these different quantities, those can all still exist, but they just express they explain the nature of how things appear. But the reality behind the appearance, that's not in space, it's not in time. Space and time are like the, the kind of parameters that we use to spread out those ideas so they can be experienced maybe to wrap this up i mean i've, I've written three questions um well th- uh three questions from some things you've uh, talked about already and some you've only just touched upon are you okay if i quickly pass these by you and just um yeah yeah I guess just answer them however you'd like so one is uh, you touched on this briefly and it interests me because um, I mean, from my own from my own experience, uh, answers coming to me, I, or finding, as I say, finding your own answers, but answers coming to me, and life presenting answers to me, were really, or even life pushing me in certain directions, were really helpful. Lots of times, I guess the word you used is intuition so just wondered if you could just expand on that a bit and how yeah how i guess i guess maybe some people are going to want to know how can they connect to their intuition and also how do you talk about it and what 
what role do you see it playing? Yeah, so you know, now that we've now that we've talked about that model we just talked about, right? Then that that serves as a a, health, a healthy way to explain that, right? So you know, when your very rational mind dominated, so you're very caught in the map, right? That it that contraction that I've just talked about when the the one mind contracts, the universal mind, you could say, contracts down to the individual mind and experiences itself from within itself from a particular location. When, that's, when that contraction is very strong, then it, it's, it feels very separate from the field around it, right? from the general field. And so then it, it kind of runs whole, almost wholly from its own internal kind of database you like like the like the the personal memories and experiences that it's had it's limited to that when you start to loosen up that boundary that contraction then you start to have access to this kind of wider field now now remember like the universal mind universal consciousness whatever it's not in space or time right so it's all here <laughs> it's all here so the more that that contraction opens then the more access you have to that deeper reality now i would say going back to the story of earlier you know if the universe has been bumbling along in the manifest form in the space-time kind of manifest form for what six, 16 well no no was it 13 point six billion years or whatever right then you know it's amassed quite a lot of wisdom <laughs> right there's there's a there's a kind of deep wisdom in that mind and and also you know it, it's being it it's it's like our, our infinite being is the ground that gives reality to all of that so as that contraction starts to relax, you start to get access to more and more of that collective wisdom. So what you're what you're what you're understanding, those insights that are coming, it, it's like they they're they're seeping in from the deeper reality. Uh, and my experience has been the more you the more you ease and soften into being and the less you're focused into the contracted into the rational mind and its maps you can still use those so i have to i have to keep saying that you can still use those as useful tools right but the reality value that you invest in them as that starts to soften and you open to here now then you become more and more open to those influences. That's been my experience. And so, yeah, my, my advice to anyone would be, you know, if, if they're interested in that, then everything we've been talking about is the way into that, right? First of all, see where your mind, see where your rational mind is hooked up, see what it believes is true. And then gently 
explore those beliefs. Are they really true? And let them slowly unravel. And then start to meet the contractions, the physical contractions. Start to meet the, the characters that have been suppressed through overwhelm in your life, through your life situations. Start to allow them to come up. And then as you meet them from that ground of being, more and more relaxation in the system. And then you're more and more open to connecting with that deeper wisdom of, of the whole, of the wholeness, of the one mind. Okay. Um, so, so another question I have. Um, Again, maybe, maybe this is uh, potentially well. With, uh, so everything you're talking about, how do you how do you relate it to uh, let's say doing and undoing? Because um, and people often talk about all all sense of doing is you know nothing's actually been done. So I think people often struggle the ability to control, I mean, may, you know, the ability they think they have to control, and often they, people think they have a remarkable ability to control their lives in, in the face of all evidence to the opposite. Um, and that seems to be something people hold on to very tightly. And that's, you know, ability or ability or wanting to control seems to be uh, seems to be tied very closely to doing. <laughs> Maybe I'm not really leading with a particularly concise question, but I mean, what are your thoughts on that? On yeah, no, what, I hear yeah. I hear you. You, it's difficult to talk to people about it because you have to you have to be really clear where you're speaking from. So a good analogy is the, the television screen, right? So let's say. Uh, James and Louis having a conversation in a room, then uh, from the point of view of the conversation in a room, James, it feels like James is thinking up things to say and then moving his mouth and saying the things. And then, you know, Louis hearing it and he's contemplating it and then he's having to think about it and he might be saying something back. Yeah, so there's lots of cause and effect going on there, lots of doing going on. Right and now, now we say we're watching that on a TV screen, right? So James talking is color appearing, and James's voice is sound appearing. And the only fact, in fact, the only reason I call it James is because I've learned that there's a distinction between these pixels and these pixels, and I cut cut the James pixels out and say that's a James. And that's a Louis. And let's say now, let's say the screen is multi-sensorial, right? So there are, there's a thought appearing on the multi-sensorial screen, like a colored pixel. Uh, and the, there's even the thought that I am definitely thinking this thought appearing. And then there's the hearing of that thought appearing and then another thought appearing as a Louis thought. So if you've got this multi-sensorial screen, then it's all appearing on that screen, right? And, it, you know, I don't, is, there any, is there anything causing affecting going on there? 
or is it all just appearing? It's all just appearing, right? And the idea of the cause and effecting is part of the thought structures appearing that are then interpreting what's appearing. Now, of course, if you're identified with that thought structure, right, you're going to fight for it to the death. Because it, as far as you're concerned, it is your death. Because <laughs> you're identified with it, right? But when you're not identified with it, nothing changes. You just see that it's all appearing on the screen. So, you know, yes, it appears like I'm doing when I'm believing that screen is the reality. So I'm, I'm speaking from the perspective of the character in the screen. But when I step back and I see that it's a screen, multi-sensorial screen, and I am the screen, <laughs> my real nature is the screen that is dancing as all these different flow, this different flow of perceptions, then there is no individual doer. Right? There is no individual doer. But there is a will, right? It is, it is, it is showing up as something, right? That's not that's nothing to do with the individual. That's nothing to do with the individual is part of what's showing up. And the, so the real the real mover and shaker is the ground of being. That's where the true the, that's the true will, if you like, the will of the the unfolding story. And that's you. <laughs> and it's me. It's it's I connecting with itself now so it's difficult to talk to people about that because if if they don't if they can't make that shift in in kind of where you're speaking from then they won't understand it and it's the same thing as like nothing ever happened right so again take that same analogy right you're looking at the screen uh and uh from the perspective of the characters in the screen, there's a lot going on, right? Now take the perspective of the screen. What's happening? Nothing. The screen isn't going anywhere. It's not changing shape. It's not, I don't know. It's just the screen, right? It doesn't move, doesn't change. So to get, again, it depends where you're, where you're standing, right? Where you're looking from. So this is the, another big problem with, non-duality in the communication when people people aren't clear because maybe they're not clear themselves right then they can't make these dis clear distinctions and then people get confused that's why people think non-duality is solipsism is why you know people think it's about being passive not about being passive right when you when you realize you're not you personally are not the doer you might be the most doing person on the planet right that's there's no contradiction <laughs> but you know people become lethargic and they kind of collapse on their sofa and there's nothing worth doing that's not non-duality that's the mind that's the mind like not not letting go of control and it's saying if i can't have it my way fuck you, you i'm not going to do anything <laughs> you see you have to be clear right and that this is why it's difficult to just have a sort of normal conversation with people because they will misunderstand it unless you're very 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 clear yeah no exactly as you've said it's um the assumptions made when you say 
you know, uh, when you don't have control, that I don't have control, why do anything? But yeah, that's exactly yeah, what you said. Yeah, there um, you go. You, you can't even decide not to do anything. Yep. And it, it, if you do, that's a very, it's like, you know, trying to outsmart thought with thought. That's a, that, you know, that'll keep you going for a few decades. <laughs> so, you know, my, my advice to people who want to in, interest other people in this, you know, would be like you asked me, you know, what do you say to people who don't really know about this stuff? So you, you appeal to their actual experience. You say, you know, well, do you, do you ever feel like something's missing? Like whatever you achieve, maybe initially you feel, you know, really high, great, you know, I did it, I did it, you know. And then, you know, a few days later, you'll, you know, it's kind of like, so what? What's the next thing, right? You, do you ever feel that? Or do you ever feel like you're yearning for something? You can't quite put your finger on it. You know, and it's not your girlfriend or your boyfriend. It's not, you know, your kids. That's all great. It's not your career. It's all great. Nothing wrong. But it's not that. It's something else. You can't quite nail it. Do you ever feel that? People, my experience, people start looking at you going, yeah, 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 I do. <laughs> oh, man, you're, just, you're like reading my mind, you know. Because I think we all we all do. But we we learn not to, like it's self-indulgent to to somehow acknowledge those things we're being too self-indulgent i hear this a lot you know oh if i if if i sit and listen to what's going on that's that's like navel gazing that's you know this is the idea we have um so yeah just saying things that resonate with people that get them interested uh in in maybe looking a bit further and then you know, feeling out what it what it is that might be the next best step for them. So maybe I can say, a, like, just briefly, Louis, that I, you know, this year I had, had a real strong guidance that I should offer everything for free, and I ask just ask for donations. So that's what I've been doing, and you know, I do weekend online retreats one coming up this weekend i do once a month free webinar and it gives people a chance to kind of see what's going on Uh, i do invite people to come on but they don't have to they can sit in the background and just get a sense of it Uh, and i've got three online courses that each speak about those three different aspects that I just talked about briefly, but really break it down for people so they can really understand deeply what's going on here. Uh, those will hopefully be up next year. So I encourage people to to get involved in those. <clears throat> and there, there they'll be able to, you know, there'll be forums and things as well. And also a community so they can start to meet people who are similarly like-minded, like-hearted and interested and also my music, which is, I love, you know, music is such a beautiful part of what I do uh, because it, it's like a main line to that kind of felt sense of of what it's all about. So, um, yeah, I've got an album that will be coming out 
shortly as well. So there's lots and lots of things to look forward to uh, for 2021. I don't know when this is coming out, but uh, yeah. Uh, no, that's that's great. Um, and interestingly, that I mean that ties very closely into the goal of, of the foundation. The foundation, one of its well, its core goals is to offer everything for free. Because I just I felt it was important to make it accessible, and um, yeah, that was that was particularly important to me, and. I understand everyone needs to make a living, and obviously, I'm that you know, if, you know, people can run their businesses, however, however they choose. Um, but yeah, in, in this case, I wanted, I just wanted because I, I mean, like from my from my or from uh, my story, shall we say, um, what's been particularly valuable for me is well, meditation somewhat, but I've been a sporadic meditator. Um, non-duality meetings and a lot of emotional releasing uh, which is why I specifically asked the question about uh, feelings Um, and I mean those three have been uh, very valuable for me and I I just want to share that and things and you know and approaches um, someone someone like yourself share because I feel it's a value and I want it to reach a wider audience so that's why it's particularly important for me to that it's made yeah it's it's offered for free um so so yeah and yeah I just so that's so that's interesting and I I noticed on your website you have for one-to-ones you have a sliding scale as well yeah, so I have to charge for those. Otherwise, I'd be doing them all day, every day, and, you know, wouldn't earn a living. So, you know, I do have to earn a living, and I make it very clear when I um, do the events that this is what I do for a living. So if you if you feel that you get value from it, then I do invite you to, to, to make a gift of a donation uh, because that's important. And what it's really beautiful is that, People do donate, and so they they have a sense of um, giving something back, and then I have a sense of being grateful for the gift that I've received, and so it's win-win rather than charging a price for something, right? It's win-win, and, you know, some people don't pay anything, and that's fine, and some people pay more than I would charge, which is fine too, great, and so in the end, it all seems to balance out, which means that for me, it's beautiful evidence that the gift model of business can really work. Yeah, personally, I'm for, I get, I'm forever grateful to certain people. Like for example, I won't name him just in case he gets overwhelmed with inquiries, but um, as a non-duality teacher um, in London who also does, he does one-to-ones with, I guess, a focus on... Um, anyway, he does one-to-ones as well. So he does some meditation in those, or he takes various, various approaches depending on the person. And he very much offers... He doesn't turn people away, and he very much offers a sliding scale. And I think his standard rate is... I don't know, perhaps... I, I don't know how much with inflation, but maybe 50, 60 an hour. But it really is pay what you can, all the way down to nothing. And, right. yeah, you don't get turned away, and depending... You know, and you get... He gets booked ahead 
he books he gets booked quite a long way ahead but then if you inquire he'll fit you in and so on so it's a yeah, similar approach to you in a way and you know when i when you know in in the past when i when i didn't have much money to spend but i was very much in the seeking lifestyle shall we say um you know i'm forever grateful to people like him who i guess supported me uh, and were really helpful during that period yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's beautiful that's natural gratitude see like you know so much talk these days of gratitude as a practice and i don't buy that you know gratitude's natural if you're having to practice it it's because you're not connecting to what you're grateful for right you really if you really are grateful then you don't have to conjure it up right you just are grateful (laughs) i I prefer ingratitude practices they're far more um, productive you know like write down all the things you feel really really angry and upset and you know pissed off about that could be much more productive (laughs) okay um i mean i could i could talk for much much longer but i think no that's good we've definitely filled up the time yeah (laughs) uh thanks so much i mean thanks so much for your time thanks so much for all the answer for all the in-depth answers and your your jameseaton.org is that right that's right, yeah. That's okay. right. Yeah, so one to ones like you said as well. Um so yeah. yeah, I'm easy to get in touch with if people want to explore further. <laughs>